0: Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that finds it ironic that it takes 12 steps to get a beer out of his fridge. It's Dale.
1: <laughs> you gotta double up, you not make them six if you walk.
0: <laughs> is that your 12-step program? That's
1: my 12-step program, but I do it in half time. time. So. You know, <laughs> it's a six-step program. Do yeah, you know, I got a long stride, you know.
0: Do you go out for a quiet beer, followed by ten noisy ones?
1: Hmm. Or are they all
0: quiet beers?
1: I don't know. What's a quiet beer? I don't know. I'm lost on that. I'm just going to have a quiet beer. No, hell no. We ain't having quiet beer. You got to start with a loud pow. You got to snap the top and take her down. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: first one, you chug it, then the rest of them are just...
1: Along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. You got to yeah. jumpstart it, man.
0: You know You got to... Yeah, you got to... <laughs>
1: That's what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. That first one's going quick. If it takes a while for that first one to be gone, there ain't going to be many more.
0: They ain't. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> be like, today ain't today. Uh-oh. Oh! What's
0: going on, dude?
1: Well, guess what? Today is not the same old, same old.
0: It's not, is it?
1: It's 200, man.
0: This is our 200th episode.
1: Congratulations, man. Man. How about that? Yep. 200. It's awesome. It's awesome. 200. It is. it is. I think it's a big deal. It is. I'm pretty proud of us.
0: Yeah. And we've got something special going on today.
1: Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. And it's going to be pretty damn good. Yeah. I'm excited.
0: Before we get to it, though, you got any good shout-outs or anybody you want to mention before we get going?
1: Yeah, I do, man. I got a... How about that? It is not an Apple podcast review, though you can leave one if you like. But it is a Spotify. What do you call this? A response, uh, I guess. Yeah, Spotify response. There you go. It is a Spotify response. And it comes from an, A-N, winter. Like it's an winter or an winter.
0: Not spring, summer, or fall. No, it's
1: not a winter. It's an, an winter. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Anyway, excuse me. It comes from A-N, winter. And it says, I love this podcast. It's a nice balance between a well-researched, respectful, done podcast with a little speculation thrown in just for fun. Donnie and Dale are great hosts and great to listen to. How about oh, that? Man. That's pretty cool, ain't it?
0: That's very cool. I like
1: that. Thank you so much, Ann Winter, for dropping that in there. And uh, you can drop yourself in there, one, two, and uh, we'll give you a shout-out. Yeah. We'll try. These uh, It says seven days ago, but it just I just saw it today, so... Yeah, the Spotify stuff's weird, man. Yeah, so How it do not pop in. up as quick as we'd like. But we really appreciate you taking the time to do that. It means a lot.
0: You know, there's something we don't mention a lot, but... You know, everybody needs to check out our social medias, our Facebook, and Instagram, and stuff. Cause YouTube. We, yeah, we do post pictures on there of, related to the cases, right? Yeah, you know, the victims and people involved and the
1: landscapes and yeah, whatever, whatever we find that we find interesting, we we like to pass that along.
0: Yeah, we do. It so it helps
1: with you know if you want to if you're listening to something, you go, man, I wonder what this guy looked like or what what was going on or where was that at. And you can we always try to help out with that. Yeah, check out our socials. Some visual concepts.
0: Yeah, man, (laughs) you're using big words for me.
1: We better get out of here for it. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to have a great episode today, and it is uh, 200, so uh, celebrate that a little bit today while you're thinking about us.
0: Yeah, we've got a special guest on the show today. We do. You know, in the last few episodes, we interviewed a polygraph examiner, David Bryant. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And we're trying to keep that uh, same theme. We're interviewing people who help law enforcement in several different ways.
1: Yeah, very unique stuff.
0: Yeah, that doesn't – they don't get enough credit for what they do.
1: That's for sure. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know exactly what to do or how it works. I mean, you always hear – in every story we do, we always hear about, you know, a polygraph or this or that or something. But do you, what do you really know about that or forensics or DNA or or dogs or, or whatever? Yeah. I mean, you hear well, you hear it in every episode, but, you know, to get in inside, you don't really know. That's either. right. So that's where we're trying to go.
0: Yeah, and we've brought up in several episodes where – Canines have been brought in to help law enforcement or help look for somebody to track someone to look for human remains. We've talked about that stuff, a wide variety, yeah. yeah. And and man, and me you've talked about this off the air and at length, <laughs> we don't know much about it, right? We don't, and I wanted to learn more about it exactly. So, we've got a
1: guy that's from
0: right here in North Carolina. His name is Jason Perguson, uh, I think it's the guy. I think he is the guy. Yeah,
1: let's go with the guy. The guy. We have the guy today.
0: His name is Jason Perguson, and he is owner and operator of Highland Canine Training LLC. Sweet. Yeah. And they have a massive program for training dogs. Well,
1: let's and get him on here and let him tell yeah. us about
0: it. So we want to welcome Jason Perguson to the show. Welcome, Jason.
2: How are you? Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, man, we're great. Thank you for being on the show. and participating with this yeah, especially
1: as busy as you are we appreciate your time
2: yes <laughs> no, my my pleasure for sure
0: yeah we want to learn more about this how canines are trained for different areas and what all's involved and what it takes and, and what they can do yeah exactly we want to, we want to learn some stuff so we want you to train us <laughs> good, good one. and maybe we can get a, a dog treat when we're done <laughs>
2: <laughs> um
0: tell us a little bit about yeah, so about, about you and what got you into training canines
2: uh okay well that's a that's a loaded question pretty long <laughs> story i'll uh i'll give you sort of the the reader's digest version grew up around dogs uh much like everybody else's story had them we used to uh, breed labs when i was younger um got into training when i was super young just because i was doing a little bit of um uh work with dogs and showing dogs and that sort of stuff again all labradors but um uh, uh got into law enforcement um and um, ended up being selected to um, to handle a police dog um and i'll say that handling a dog and training a dog are two real different things but uh handled a dog uh, got fairly comfortable with that um had had done quite a bit of training previously um ended up training a uh, number of dogs for our department became a supervisor i did attend a uh, training program here in north carolina learn how to train dogs uh, particularly police and working dogs um, got out of law enforcement uh, uh, about a decade later and uh, ended up um, going to work for a um, uh, another um, uh, company here in north carolina that trains police dogs and, um, uh, was there for a while. And then, uh, my wife and I had started, uh, started our own business here in Harmony, North Carolina, which is, um, uh, really sort of middle of nowhere, to be honest with you. <laughs> We've, um, uh, been here 17 years. We've got a bit of a multifaceted business in that we, um, um, we train a variety of dogs. We do dogs for police and military, uh, working dogs. We, um, also do service dogs for individuals with disabilities. We train a lot of pet dogs and focus on behavior modification, um, dealing specifically with dogs with uh, aggression, that sort of thing. And then um, we uh, also have a school for dog trainers where we uh, um, teach people uh, how to train dogs. So. we um, we get people in here from all over the U.S. and actually all over the world. Uh, we've had folks from uh, a little over 35 countries now. Wow. Um, fans. So, again, those are civilians, law enforcement, military, again, from U.S., from um, outside the U.S. as well. So, um, like I said, we've been here since oh early, early 06. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you guys pretty much do a little bit of everything, didn't you? A little bit, yeah. yeah that's uh, we that's pretty don't impressive. Do, we don't do guide dogs for the blind, and we don't do hunting dogs, but uh, we do pretty much everything in between those two. Wow, yeah. that's
1: impressive.
0: So I guess my first question is, Jason, what kind of dogs are typically used for uh, training uh, for helping law enforcement? I mean, is it a particular dog that is recommended,
1: or can any dog what are be you saying? Used? Is it like a certain breed, or is it just a certain breed? mentality what's what's better
2: um well to answer that question accurately it's it's really sort of both um and i say that because all um uh, not all dogs can be a police dog obviously um there are breeds that are uh, selected more frequently than others and you know within those particular breeds some dogs have more of an aptitude for it than others um Typical breeds that we train for for law enforcement military uh, is uh, uh, your German Shepherds, uh, as most people are, are familiar with, Shepherds and Malinois. Um, we've actually done over the years a lot of crosses, uh, meaning uh, mixed breeds between German Shepherds and Malinois, um, and those are actually um, oftentimes incredible candidates for the work. <laughs> um, we also do a lot of uh, sporting and breeds too. And in addition to that, we do Labradors, for example. We do tons and tons of labs. Um, we do some golden retrievers, not as many as we do on the lab side of things. But uh, um, here in the last, I'd say probably four or five years, the German short-haired pointer has grown in popularity as a single, what we call a single-purpose police dog that does detection. And... Uh, trails people or finds people, um, who may be either missing or fleeing from law enforcement. Uh, and then you've got the old, the old standby when it comes to tracking or trailing dogs. And that's, uh, that's the bloodhound. So we've done a lot of those over the years as well.
1: Mm -hmm. So what makes a German shepherd that, that breed really good for the candidate besides him, you know, what you always have in your head, as far as the police dog, look, and that kind of thing, is it certain about that breed that makes it better?
2: um well the, the you kind of can lump you can sort of lump the shepherd and Malinois together in that um you know they're both they are both european breeds um both of those have been used uh the shepherd more than the longer than the Malinois not necessarily more but longer than the Malinois the Shepherds has been used in addition to the Malinois in uh, European competition sports and um uh, that Selective breeding in Europe and that focus on those dogs' ability to perform well uh, in a lot of those uh, European competition sports is what's made them excel uh, here in the U.S. and globally as working dogs. Right. They have the they have the aptitude for it. Um, uh, the requisite drives it takes in order to do that type of work, um, uh, and they're. You know, overall, relatively social. Hmm. Their agility, their olfactory system, uh, keen sense of sight, all things that are factored in that make them really good working dogs. Now,
1: okay, so they're pretty much five-star in every category. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Are they bred for this,
1: or? Is that where they came from, you think? Yeah. Because you always see them, like, even back to watching Hogan's Heroes, you know, they always had the, the every guard dog you ever sees is a German Shepherd. Yeah. Oh, no. German
2: Shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, shepherds have been used for years in law enforcement and and military work, um probably longer than than, than a lot of other breeds consistently. Um you know, the the mal grown in popularity tremendously over the last, oh, I'd say probably 20, 25 years. Uh, you know, 30, 30 years ago you never heard of one. Um that's that's definitely changed. Um you know, again, they're 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 Breeding and selection for, uh, uh, again, a lot of those competition sports. Um, you know, they're, in today's climate in Europe, there are not a ton of people sitting around saying, hey, let's breed dogs for law enforcement, military in the United States. Right. They're breeding more for competition sports, and the dogs that, you know, don't make it a lot of times in their sports or don't excel in their sports end up being sold as uh, police and military working dogs here in the United States and in other countries as well.
0: So how old can a dog be to start training? I mean, do they is there a
1: certain age or well, I guess if it and and how long does the training I guess that factors in? Yeah.
2: Yeah, so um we'll talk about averages here a little bit. Okay. Um when I got started, I started, you know, in in police dogs in like 1995. Um and back then, uh you know, everybody was looking for this Two to three year old dog, and, and everybody wanted that two to three year old dog from Europe because it was, uh, you know, it was fully matured, uh, both both physically and mentally. Uh, you know, you, you knew what you had. You weren't going to get a lot of changes in this dog um, as a result of you know experience and maturation so much. Um, then you know, nine eleven hit and. Uh, the bomb dogs really took off. You know, pre nine eleven, finding a bomb dog was was really sort of a needle in a haystack. Well, after nine eleven, everybody sort of got into the bomb dog business and really sort of wiped the market out. Hmm. And, and that wasn't just in the United States. You got to keep in mind this was sort of globally. Yeah, I never thought about and, that. And idea. as such, all those two three year old really nice European dogs were all. Bur- purchased up and all wiped out and the ones who were a little older got bought up and the ones who were a little younger got bought up and uh they sort of wiped out that european market um and you know as a result what vendors here in the u.s were able to get were substantially younger dogs 10 11 12 13 14 months um so what what really sort of happened was uh uh, the market drove those younger dogs, um, and the vendors had to have a—they uh, sort of had to have a, an explanation or selling point for their old clients who were looking for those two to three-year-old dogs. Hmm. And and basically, what they came up with was, hey, if you buy a younger dog, you're going to be able to work it longer. You're going to get a longer working life out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily true, but that has been the belief now for for many many years. Um, And as a result, uh, what we're seeing now are dogs that are hitting the streets substantially younger than they did uh, 20 or 30 years ago. Our training program takes, uh, for our dual dogs, our training program takes right around four months. Uh, I will tell you that our program takes quite a bit longer than most people in the industry. There are a lot of folks out there doing it a lot quicker than us, Um, but um, our focus is on uh, quality not speed i'll just i'll sort of leave
1: it at that <laughs> wow well, i would have thought it'd take a lot longer than that and that's impressive to me yeah and when you say dual, what what do you mean by the what's the two things or at
2: least dual purpose okay so so dogs police and military working dogs generally are sort of classified into into two categories um what's called a single purpose dog and what they refer to as a dual purpose dog a single purpose dog um typically does um, more than one thing, um, but their primary focus generally is detection. Um, they can also do trailing and, and some other things in addition to that. Uh, a dual-purpose dog is one that um, does patrol work. It bites people, or it's trained to bite people or demonstrate some aggression. Oh, I um, Suspect apprehensions, handler protection, uh, extractions, those sorts of things. So basically
1: mm-hmm. one you can let it out of the car and either he can track him down or you can use him for protection or to take somebody down. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever whatever yeah, the, so whatever the, it calls for.
2: Yeah, what we refer to as a patrol or a dual dog is a, those are the those are prick eared, bitey uh, dogs with an attitude. Yeah.
1: Those are the ones you don't want to be on the other end of, I'm
2: assuming. <laughs> not not Wow,
1: <typically>, no. <laughs> Well, pretty cool. So, how
0: old are the dogs when they start training? What I mean,
1: you saying is there a limit? Where you got you got to let them wait so long? Yeah,
0: I mean, do they have to be weaned from their mother before they start <laughs> training? Or, I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know this stuff.
1: We learn as about.
2: a as a general rule, we don't. You know, everybody loves puppies. Uh, I do not. Um, as a general rule, we try to stay away from puppies. We gotcha. unfortunately uh, cannot, as much as we want to. Um, Again, most of the police dogs that we're training, police or, you know, other working dogs for militaries (laughs) or governments, are European imports. So we're getting those dogs from Europe. And when we ship them in from Europe, they are typically in in the range between somewhere around 14 to 20 months. Okay. Uh, So then... Once they, you know, once they arrive here, we start a training program with them almost right away. Um, we we test and evaluate them again, make sure they're good after the flight, and then we start to uh, we start to get them going right away. <clears throat> In wow. the event that we have to start with puppies, and we do, and we're I hate to say it, but we're currently inundated with puppies right at the moment. Um, we start with them uh, right around eight weeks of age. Wow, man! Uh, so, yeah, so so we're not. We're not doing hardcore stuff. We're doing a lot of environmental um socialization with people. Uh we're getting them into into places and around things and uh exposing them to all sorts of folks and traffic and um you know, things that would would typically cause issues or problems for your average pet dog. Make them them um, proof, you know, kinda. Sliding doors. Sliding doors at Lowe's or Home Depot can be a real big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, forklifts, hand dryers, again, tractor trailer trucks on the interstate—all of those things can create some huge environmental issues that can cause uh, cause these dogs to what we call wash out, meaning that they're incapable of doing the work because they don't have the environmental stability. So, our big focus with those puppies for the first several months of their life is to make sure that they have the environmental stability to get the job done. Um, cause that's usually the thing that's, uh, typically going to cause a dog to wash out. It's not generally a, a lack of desire or drive or some inability to train them. It's, uh, that, uh, environmental, uh, instability that's going to end up get them, getting them booted from the program. Um, We've got a huge success rate with it. Um, our washout rates are super, super low, uh, which is fortunate for us, but it, it is a lot of work, I will say that, to get get those dogs out. I think we've got a – I know we've got one litter right now of six, and we're actually working with that entire litter. They're probably 12 weeks old right now, 11 or 12 weeks old, and then we've got some right in front of them that are six or seven months old, and then we've got a group in front of them that are – right around uh, a year a little more than a year old and they're they're getting ready to start a handler school here next month so
0: so how do you know if a certain dog is good for a certain task like if you want a, a bomb dog or do you want a, a cadaver dog how do you know
1: how you differentiate yeah, yeah. If,
0: if if this because dog is going to be good for this or this dog is going to be good for that how do you know or do you just or do you
1: not
2: um, well again they're all going to have Uh, When we're looking for dogs, um, we're looking for a sort of standardized skill set. We want a dog that's going to hunt for something that they can't see, obviously. A lot of times that's a ball or a toy. Um, So we're looking for dogs that are super environmentally stable. We want to make sure that their trainability is really high, they're super social, and that they'll hunt. Uh, They're gonna they're gonna have some drive for a ball uh, Or some other toy and they're willing to work to hunt for it when it's out of their sight. So those are some Real key things that we're looking for sort of across the board with a lot of these dogs Now, how do we how do we determine which one gets to be a bum dog? and Which one of them ends up being a drug dog? Uh, that's uh, something where we just have to really sort of spend some time with that dog figure out their personality um, overall sort of temperament, et cetera, et cetera. Um, for example, you know, when we're testing, testing dogs or testing younger dogs, and we've got a a number of batteries that we sort of put them through to, to figure out their, you know, their aptitude and temperament and those sorts of things. Um, you know, one of the things that we'll do is, you know, sort of take them into a building or take them into an unknown area that they're not familiar with. We may end up Um, having them retrieve a toy or hunt for it when it's out of sight. And some of them are just super eager, uh, you know, bulldozing through that building like a bull in a China shop to get to that toy or ball or whatever it is we may have hidden from them. And then other ones are way more methodical and far more deliberate about how they approach things and move through a building. Um, the one that's more deliberate obviously is our bomb dog candidate. The bull in the China shop can uh, we can get by with drug that one being a drug dog. So that's
0: yeah, that makes a, a lot of
2: sense. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know we don't we don't want our bum bum dogs to be super rambunctious and or so even super clumsy um, with with some coordination issues and not having any rear end or foot awareness where they're they're bumping into stuff because um, they're they're those would be pretty short lived if we <laughs> if we put those in that position.
1: Yeah, that wouldn't be good for a bomb dog, I wouldn't think. No. <laughs> yeah. So when you and say... I'll be honest, oh, we, we,
2: we train a lot more. Uh, we train, right now, we train a lot more drug dogs than we do bomb dogs. We're probably, oh, somewhere in the range of probably 10 or 20 to 1 uh, wow. drug dogs to bomb dogs. Yeah, the, the demand for the bomb dogs is still, um, even in today's climate, not quite as high demand as uh still the drug dogs are
1: wow
0: makes sense though
1: so when you said you like you get a say you got some in from from europe or whatever do you just bring those in yourself or are those sending over like from a certain place like for a certain military camp or or police force or wherever they send them to you to train them are you just buying them yourself to train them up and then divvy them back out to wherever they're needed
2: yeah so we're we're buying them from a broker in europe um uh, our particular broker is one that we've been working with for a decade and a half now um so we've got a really good relationship with them um so we we're purchasing those dogs um we're paying to ship them here into the united states as what are considered green dogs and a green dog is a a dog that is pre-tested pre-selected has all the requisite drives and aptitude for the work but they don't have any training so, yeah. they come here green, as we call it, and then we we spend the next several months training them. Okay. So, um, so what happens is we we bring them in, um, and and offer them for sale. Um, how many we bring in really sort of depends on demand, time of year, budgets, those sorts of things. Um, a lot of your law enforcement budgets, whether they be local, state, or federal, those budgets come in and out at certain times. So there are busier seasons when law enforcement's buying those dogs in slower times, so we have to adjust to, to meet those demands um, as they come. But uh, uh, in large part, we're buying them, we're training them, we're offering them for sale. Okay.
0: Like you said, some of them go out to law enforcement, but there are some that go out to private sectors, I guess people who have their own search business is is that something that y'all cater to
2: yeah so we we do again government ngo civilian markets here um inside the u.s as well as um outside the u.s uh so we do uh foreign uh government uh, military and law enforcement agencies as well uh, we've worked with a number of those over the years. Um, we've actually trained dogs for civilian sector. We've gotten into some, uh, <laughs> we've gotten into some really sort of weird or obscure things over the years doing that with some, uh, with some detection dogs, um, things that e- people either said couldn't be done or, uh, or, or things that people weren't willing to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, we've, uh, we do deal with both markets, um, um and have for years man this is cool yeah i want to come up there
0: yeah so <laughs> what, so let's say you're you're training a, a dog for law enforcement the mm-hmm. the officer has to go through the training with the dog is that right
2: yeah with us they do yeah uh you know everybody every a company does a little different but we do require them to come through um a sort of standardized minimum training program with us um, generally four weeks. So they're spending a month up here. The dog's pre-trained when they get here. Um, so the dog knows its job. It's just a matter of, uh, teaching the, um, human part, uh, or as we refer to it, sometimes the hard part, um, <laughs> the, training the hard part starts at that point. Um, and, uh, they go through that, that program here at our place, uh, again, typically it's four weeks and then at that point um they go through a certification process and when they pass that they're back at home and uh hitting the streets and uh hopefully making a difference
0: yeah you said some dogs are awash do i guess i you're saying that all dogs just cannot aren't cut out for this
2: what? well a majority of dogs here in the u.s are not cut out for it mm-hmm. i'll just i'll just say. Um, most of your domestic bred German Shepherds and Belgian Malinois those those bred and raised here in the U.S. typically do not have the uh, the aptitude for this type of work.
0: Wow, did not know. Well, they've probably
2: been yeah. domestic, domesticated yeah, well, down we, from that you know strict breeding, I guess. Yeah. Well, does that make sense? Americans breed dogs based on how that dog looks because that's how people make decisions about what they want to buy here makes it yeah um whereas the european focus is more on how the dog works the us focuses more on what the dog looks like yeah i get it and because we bred for that single trait the what does it look like kind of trait um we've we've lost unfortunately over the years we've lost a lot of um ability uh in those dogs
1: so they're breeding the good part out of them <laughs> yeah
2: well not guess you know well and in, 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 in a scenes. lot of regards they really are yeah Well, wow. what they were what they were initially selected for uh and initially bred for yeah we see that uh, we see that really sort of falling to the wayside well we never think about stuff like no that. you don't
0: even think about stuff like that yeah. so let's say you got a, a dog that you're training um, a cadaver dog um, okay. do law enforcement keep these dogs or are these these uh, dogs uh, put out in the private sector civilians own these dogs and they participate in these searches or how does that work
2: um, typically most of the dogs that we um, typically most of the dogs that we work with um, are going to law enforcement organizations mm-hmm. um, and as such they are they're attached to some government entity that supports that dog team. Okay. Uh, as a result, uh, a majority of their work is going to come from that municipality or city county agency. And again, we do some against civilian dogs. We do them for school systems we do them for private individuals. Again, not as many, um, majority of a the majority of them refer law enforcement and government agencies. Um, now, when it comes to cadaver dogs, for example, uh, a majority of those that we train are actually for civilian. Uh, we have done a number of them for government agencies, but, uh, again, a majority of your cadaver dogs that are operating currently in the United States are on a civilian and typically volunteer basis.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess because they're so specialized, right? So, I mean,
2: you well, don't, you you don't know, need one of those every day. The, yeah, you don't need them every day. Um, I tell people a lot of times with uh, cadaver dogs and you know, urban search and rescue dogs, I, I, I say they're kind of like insurance in <laughs> that you you pay into them in time and resources and hope you never have to use them. Yeah. Um, so they they are used so sporadically that a lot of a lot of government agencies just don't see the need to 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 have one uh, as such. They're usually calling on. Um, um, civilian volunteers to come in and help. Okay. Again, there are some agencies that have them um, throughout the United States, but you know, again, not a not a ton of them.
0: So you said that the dogs and the officer will have to be certified together. how mm-hmm. How often do they get recertified or retested? How often do they? Or is that even a thing? Yeah.
2: The um, the sort of annual industry standard, I mean, the industry standard sort of annually. So once a year. uh, Some agencies sort of go above and beyond and do it twice a year. Not many, but some of them do. Uh, But most uh, are once a year. So at a minimum, we're we're oftentimes taking a look at those dog teams once a year. A lot of them come back to us um, for that recertification annual recertification some of them go to other third-party organizations Mm -hmm. but uh, okay it's uh usually a three-day process for them at at least uh in order to get through all the all the things that they're doing um as far as patrol work detection track and trail and um a little shorter for some of those dogs that don't have uh as many uh uh, <laughs> as many jobs that they have to keep up with.
0: Hmm.
1: Man, this is really cool.
0: Yeah. So get into scent dogs a little bit. We've we've uh talked about a a girl here that's missing here in Cleveland County, Asia Degree, and they brought in scent dogs for her.
1: It had been raining.
0: It had been raining that day. How how well do dogs do after rain and stuff like that? We've heard different stories, but
1: we've heard both ways. Either yeah, dries better or wets better because it brings the scent up. So you know, so what do you, what's your take on that?
2: Yeah, so typically those dogs are going to work way better um, when there's moisture in the environment, even even to the point where it's it's raining. And sometimes when it's raining pretty hard, hmm. um, drier, arid environments are actually worse for them to work in most of the time
0: does the rain keep the scent down low to the ground or how does that how does that typically work um, i mean
2: it's it's more of a sort of an understanding of what human odor is and you know one of the things that make up your human odor is bacteria so um your skin has bacteria on it good bacteria and bad bacteria um and you know that bacteria consumes those dead skin cells that leave the body uh not to get too much of a biology lesson or, or, or <laughs> science class here. Um, so, you know, you're shedding dead skin cells all the time. Um, as I tell my students, uh, most of the dust in your house is just dead skin cells laying around on your furniture. That yeah. uh, usually gives people the eebie-jeebies. Um, but uh, <laughs> you're shedding those uh, constantly. Um, so there's a cloud of, of, of odor um, to dogs we sort of look like uh, pig pen from uh, I was going to say that yeah so um, we, we sort of look like pig peeing I mean, with this big cloud of dead skin cells and odor and smell around us well the bacteria that that thrives on those dead skin cells and um, creates uh a substantial amount of that odor production is really sort of a living organism and as such it needs water to live uh, therefore um, those humid environments can um, provide a, uh, a really suitable um, type of environment for those uh, for that bacteria to live And um, the dog's olfactory system needs moisture in order to be at its utmost effectiveness as well if you ever watch a bloodhound work uh, in a drier or a little more arid environment you'll consistently see them taking their tongue and licking the end of their nose Mm -hmm. um labs and other dogs will do it too and that is really sort of just an attempt to um add some humidity or moisture to that olfactory uh system wow brilliant
0: yeah yeah i've always you know seen dogs with wet noses and stuff but yeah it makes
2: makes total sense Wow. yeah that that moisture is actually helpful yeah i I tell people a lot of times dogs will actually track and tra- trail they'll trail people really well in the rain they work good in the rain it's the uh, human handlers that don't work in the rain <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow that's
2: pretty neat so typically if you have a trailing dog that does not do well in the rain it's because their handler has not conditioned them to work <laughs> in the rain
1: yeah hmm, hmm. So does that go the same for like say like you where we see on TV or whatever when somebody's running they jump in the creek and run down the creek or go across the other side to lose the trail does that work or no?
2: No, no, <laughs> none of that stuff works. Um, it just makes you go to jail wet. Really is what it is. <laughs> um, and wet and tired. Um, it's, it's not if 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 they have a well trained dog no, it doesn't help at all. Um, <laughs> awesome. There is a. Um, ever get a chance you can look and i don't remember so don't quote me on the the year episode but it's been a number of years ago that the guys that uh Mythbusters, i'm sure you've seen that tv oh, yeah. show yeah. they so they did a couple of episodes um um on a lot of the movie tricks and stuff that people did in the movies and tv shows to to lose the dogs that were tracking them and uh what they came to find was that none of those actually worked um Hmm. Uh, they used uh, they used dead fish and all kinds of nasty stuff to try to throw the dogs off. And what they found was um, none of it really was effective.
1: Wow, yeah. impressive! I probably said it about ten yeah. times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got to edit some impressives out because this is really cool.
0: So, what about the cadaver dogs? I mean, did they train with real human? Yeah, we uh, read that. Yeah. Human uh, remains. remains?
2: yeah a lot of you cadaver dog teams are 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 hopefully training with um, real human remains um i say hopefully it's 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 difficult for a lot of those teams sometimes to um uh source training aids um that's a good way to put it. body parts <laughs> right. yeah yeah human human bits um so uh, they're difficult to store. They're difficult to procure more so today than they were 20 years ago. A lot of ethical questions come up in the procurement of body parts, obviously. Right. Um, and, um, you know, there are workarounds. You know, barbers barbers have plenty of hair. They sweep up every day. Dentists have plenty of teeth. They pull out of people's heads all the time. You just got to network. And, you know, hmm. um, we, we train uh, have historically trained cadaver dogs on five di- distinct um, sort of categories of other hair bone, teeth, blood, uh, and flesh um, trying to vary it as much as possible. Um, we've gotten away from that quite a bit here lately and you are using a uh, chemically formulated um, sort of replica uh, as a training aid. Um, one that we've been using for years it's called scent logics and it's a it's a remarkable uh, alternative to actually a better alternative in, <laughs> in in most every way to the real thing hmm. um, so they just came out with this cadaver aid probably two years ago I think it was uh, don't quote me on that but something pretty close to it we've been using their explosive and narcotic aids for years and years um, we um, helped and did some work to help develop some of their aids bed bug aids and those sorts of things so um, like I said we've, we've detection is one of our specialties well we consider it one of our specialties we've done a lot of research over the years um, on a variety of subjects and topics relating to detection of lots of different things um, humans uh narcotics explosives etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, like i said we've gotten into some pretty obscure stuff we've trained dogs to find bumblebees and bat poop and hmm. kind of all sorts of stuff over the years and been pretty successful with it so far that's crazy it's just kind of endless really
0: yeah oh. so is is every dog different actually, go ahead
2: yeah we actually trained um I don't know if it's still the case, but at the time it was the only bumblebee detection dog in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, we've since trained another one. Um, both of those dogs have been tremendously successful. Um, That's crazy. And, and at the time when we did that first one, there was uh, no uh, no other one in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, like I said, we've done uh, done them for endangered. Bats and just all sorts of things. the The bumblebees are for endangered bumblebees. Um, we'd like to so we've done bed bugs, termites, um, sort of you name it.
0: That's crazy.
1: It's amazing to me what what you guys can do with those dogs and what the dogs can do with you. It just blows my mind that they're that specialized. I guess it's all in what you do. I guess. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you know. In the last couple of decades we've we've come a long way in 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 sort of being I guess being more open-minded to the capabilities of dogs and as such we you know I think we as humans limited their ability for a number of years um, just because we we did I guess maybe we didn't have the confidence that they were capable of doing a lot of the things uh that we've since sort of opened our mind to and and tried and and the dogs have proven to us that they're they're completely capable of it so uh just need to shut up and listen to the dogs i guess
0: <laughs> yeah, and tap into that resource that they have that's yeah that's crazy. crazy so do all dogs
2: yeah when, absolutely
0: when they hit on something you know remains or drugs or something do they all signal the same way or is it just up to the dog, up to the dog or and the, the handler and what they can recognize good
1: question
2: Oftentimes is, um, so a lot of our dogs have a very distinct indication, uh, is what we refer to as a freezing lock. Um, It's one that we've sort of been perfecting over the last probably decade and a half. Um, We actually used to get ridiculed for doing it that way. People made fun of us and made pretty, uh, (laughs) some pretty rough comments about it publicly on social media and that sort of stuff and we just sort of took it on the chin and kept working Um, and now here it is like 15 years later and what we're seeing is, uh, you know, a a big part of the industry that's mimicking what we were doing a decade ago. So that's, uh, that's kind of good to see. Um, it really depends on the trainer and how they're most comfortable in teaching that indication. It can sometimes be dictated by the handler or the department who's buying it. Um, there's some, there's some fairly consistent strategies amongst dogs, depending on the type. Um. Our our drug dogs and bomb dogs both do what we call a freezing lock. A lot of people still teach the traditional uh, sitting and staring behavior with um, particularly bomb dogs and even a lot of drug dogs. Uh, cadaver dogs can do. A, I've seen those cadaver dogs do a bunch of different things. Everything from barking to sitting and staring to scratching to you name it. We uh, we oftentimes don't, uh, prefer. Uh, a bit of a scratching behavior out of those dogs because there is a visual indication as to where they gave the response. Um, hmm. and, and, and we've just found that to be more effective based on um, experience, <laughs> personal experience of working those dogs, as well as, you know, experiences of other handlers that we've had an opportunity to work with and talk to and interview over the years. Um, cadaver dogs can hmm. find themselves in some really, uh, some really tricky situations. Um, whether you not, you whether you know it or not, we've we've got a couple podcasts we do as well, and uh, we've interviewed a number of cadaver dog handlers. That's a it's a topic that a lot of people seem to be interested in, and you know because we've trained a lot of those dogs, we've we've had requests to to sort of share the stories of some of those folks, and um, they've got some pretty rough stories, as you can imagine. Oh yeah, um, some that people people don't have a stomach for um you know i tell everybody that being a cadaver dog handler is not a job for everybody because by the time a cadaver dog team is called out to a particular scene um you know no matter what response they come back with um nobody's gonna like it you know they're either gonna come back and say they found something which nobody wants to hear or they're gonna come back and say they didn't find anything and and oftentimes that's a response nobody wants to hear as well right uh, yeah it's not good either way the, you know a lot of looking for closure. yeah so you're you're in a pickle when you show up on the scene really um you're you're, you're going to be the probably the bearer of bad news either way so mm. it's a tough job it really is that's crazy
1: uh, what was you going to ask, Dale? I was, I was going to say, we saw something earlier today was talking about cadaver dogs, and it were talking about they could find stuff that had been buried like 800 years and stuff like this, or then up to 12 feet deep and all this stuff. That's 800-year thing's a little much for me to believe. Is that something that's true? or
2: That dogs are capable of finding human remains that are that old?
1: Yeah, they were saying that they were, yeah, they were that old, but I'm like, if, even if it was laying around that long, I mean, wouldn't, there wouldn't be anything left, I wouldn't think.
2: Um, human bone can actually stick around for a long time, depending on environmental conditions, depending on a lot of different things. I mean, we've we've found uh, uh, Paleolithic dogs and people historically. So, you know, those things can last a while, but uh, it really oftentimes depends on environmental conditions and how they're preserved. Yeah. Um, is a dog capable of finding them? I'm not going to sit here and say absolutely not, because, you know, again, I've been I've been am- consistently amazed by dogs my entire life, and their abilities and capabilities. But I would definitely say it's a uh, it's a bit of a stretch. Right. There are a lot of people out there making um, making tons of claims um, that simply just are not true. Um, unfortunately, there have been some some pretty big scars, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, on the industry of of people. You know, in this in this business for the wrong reason. Um, There's a number of cases come out of Michigan where a a lady who had a dog. She was she was pretty famous at the time. She was on a number of TV shows, national TV shows, and magazines, and uh, America's Most Wanted and um, Unsolved Mysteries. And she was being showcased a lot for finding Indian burial graves and other such things. And um, she actually got she actually got caught in the middle of uh, planting some evidence and Ooh. doing a lot of things that she shouldn't have been doing, I think, out of uh, some desire for notoriety instead of for the right reason. So, yeah. um, you know, again, a lot of those claims are pretty unfounded or uh, pretty anecdotal. Um, there are people who claim to have trailed living humans for, you know, five and six and eight and ten months later. Um again i don't believe that any of those claims are true and uh, a lot of studies that have been done around that have actually found that uh, a lot of that stuff is not true unfortunately uh you know again dogs are capable of a lot of great things but uh uh, it's unfortunate that sometimes people uh, stretch that in order to to make themselves or their, their dog look good
1: right right that makes a lot more sense to me yeah so what about say uh you know where they can put a dog in a boat and they can find one in the lake does that kind of work the same way with the
2: Uh, the oh that's completely they're completely capable of that that's um that's typically what we would refer to as a water cadaver dog um wow cadaver dogs are generally conditioned to find um, to find bodies um on land or buried or suspended those are what we call uh, land cadaver dogs or field cadaver dogs. You then have uh, what we call disaster cadaver dogs. Those dogs are sort of specialized in, and capable of working. Um, scenes like you saw during 9-11, during Hurricane Katrina, uh, some of those larger man-made or natural disasters where you have, you know, flooded or collapsed homes and those sorts of things. Uh, and then you do have water cadaver dogs that can actually find decomp uh, in aquatic environments and uh, and, and and a vi- variety of aquatic environments, whether it be creeks and streams or ponds and lakes, um, they can be incredibly successful if they're well trained and um, uh, worked and handled the right way.
0: That's insane to me. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
2: Jason, that- yeah, humans will humans will all, all pass when they're underwater, so it wow. does give the dog something to. Something to pick up on so i'm blown away
0: jason i'd read on your website i actually i've been through your website looking at it, and you'd had a list of dates and years for innovations and in dog training And you talked about the future of dog training and where it could possibly go where do you see um dog training going in the future for law enforcement and different things
2: uh well you know we've seen a, a substantial evolution since i've been in it uh, uh, Fentanyl is a big thing for our drug dogs. It's a huge risk that, you know, wasn't a thing when I first started. But uh, now is obviously a, a major, major problem here in the United States. And as such, people have had to sort of fundamentally switch gears on the way they train and even handle some of these detection dogs because of the fact that that stuff is um, it's out there and um, it's, pretty dangerous obviously mm-hmm. so um, where are we going to be 20 years from now I don't think it'll be drastically different but I think there are going to be definitely some changes I think new threats are going to emerge for both explosive detection dogs as well as uh, our drug dogs I don't think that's ever going to go away in our, not in my lifetime anyway um, you know cadaver dogs we're seeing uh, again improvements just because of uh, again innovations in the ability for them to procure better training aids, being able to find um, ways to train that um, that we didn't we didn't have readily available 30 years ago. So, um, you know, again, I think dogs are always going to be a part of our work. They have been for you know thousands and thousands of years. Uh, they've worked alongside man. That's true. Um, and and I don't see that part of it changing at all. Hmm people have worked for years and years and years to uh to try to design and develop instruments and machines and robots to replace dogs and unfortunately they've never been able to build a better mouse trap than the <laughs> than man's best friend so <laughs> that is so
1: cool. that is crazy so what's what's uh, some of the most amazing things you've ever seen the dog do or crazy stories
2: um Probably some of the more more unique things that I have seen, or uh, you know, dogs that have been capable of finding people um, for that have been gone missing, lost, whatever the case may be, uh, for really long periods of time. What what I would consider long periods of time, you know, twenty four hours plus. Um, that is, uh, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, you know, again, some of the some of the more obscure things uh, I find of considerable interest like i said the um conservation dogs is something we've we've always been intrigued by and have always jumped at the opportunity to um um to to get involved with on some level you know like i said with bats and bumblebees and endangered species so um that's always always going to be something we're going to try to get involved in and get involved in more so um again they're 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 they are remarkable animals and like i said we've worked alongside them for thousands of years and um i think we're 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 still learning from them every single day i know i am so
1: wow so earlier you said um working life used that term working life so on the dog do they like work for so many years and they're like okay i'm tired of this and they retire or they just go to they get a little bit old to do the job or is there a i guess like a well working life i guess like you said and then they're adopted out or how how does that work for a retired dog typically
2: speaking um typically speaking they're gonna they're gonna work until um they have some sort of medical or physical issue that creates a situation where it's just uncomfortable or unpleasant for them to continue working. So you know, usually it's either cognitive decline or some decline in their health overall health that's going to create a situation where they can't work anymore. And at that time, they'll generally make a decision to uh, to retire them. Uh, and then once those uh, once those dogs are retired, they will. Uh, um uh, most of the time go and live with their uh, um hammer
1: mm. oh good, good and
2: their family you know go live with their handler and family um and live out the rest of their life. I was fortunate enough my first police dog uh, lived with me for the balance of his life um and he he lived to almost be seventeen wow. <laughs> he retired at twelve and almost lived to be seventeen.
1: That's good to know. I was I would I was sitting here thinking, man, I hate to the the dog is at there and busts his butt and works hard, you know, for several years, and then it's time for do that, and so they just like, well, boot them off if you're, if you're done, you know. But if they get to go home with their dad. I'm sure they're happy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Most of them get to go, like I say, get to go be part of the family and hang out and, uh, um, you know, rest for a bit because those dogs put in the work during their working life. They a lot of them really, really do. Uh- um, well, I say they put in the work. We call it work. Uh, they don't call it work. Um, they see it as a big game, yeah. typically.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not work for them. No, no. No, it's just pretty cool.
1: Right, I guess when, when they're working all the time, I guess they don't really get to be like the family dog, do they? Because it's all it's just like you got to stay business all the time? Because, I mean, I don't know. Or is that, or is that a misconception?
2: Well, it is. Not really. Uh, it depends on the um it really depends on that handler. It depends on how they integrate them into their family, what their agency's policies will allow them to do, um, you know those sorts of things. So um, some of them live in the home Some of them stay in the kennels and go to work every day. So um, you know, it really sort of depends on um, how that's structured with that agency.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's a good answer because I wasn't even thinking about it. agency guidelines and that kind of thing would dictate what goes on there.
2: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, every every department sort of has its own um, – um, they sort of have their own way of doing things. Uh, we've worked with tons and tons of them over the years and uh, never really surprised when I see um, somebody do something a little different.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: It's a whole lot of mm going on yeah this
0: is just neat i'm just learning a lot this is good stuff (laughs) yeah because we've talked about dogs so much on our show we we didn't know much about them how they work and how they
1: how impressive they are yeah and
0: how they are trained i had no clue yeah
2: Yeah, you know a lot of a lot of misconceptions about about the dogs their selection and what's you know able to be a police dog what's not um you know, we get a lot of people uh, at our, you know, at our facility here um, just north of Charlotte. We get people call us quite a bit and say, hey, I've got the perfect dog for you. Uh, it's bitten like six or seven people and it sniffs the ground a lot. So I think <laughs> it's going to make a great, great police dog. Um, but the reality is, is those are not uh, typically not traits that we're, uh, <laughs> we're looking for. <laughs> I
0: guess not. uh uh-uh. um, yeah, good stuff. Well, Jason, man, that was awesome. Oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's been a been a pleasure.
0: Yeah,
1: we really uh, I really appreciate your time. We know you're busy and you've been out of town for weeks, and then you come back and just dropped everything to talk to us for a little while. So we just want to thank you so much for coming in and enlightening us and our listeners about what you do and how it goes and just a little bit of information on the inside
0: yeah i had no clue we talk about dogs yeah, well. but yeah
1: really? yeah we
2: we can talk about dogs forever i like it
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. maybe we come down and visit you sometime I'll this is pretty it. cool i'd love to see you i'd love to see the
2: operation we are uh, like i said we're about an hour due north of uh, charlotte north carolina on interstate 77 you get off at exit 65 and we're about four minutes so um we've got our school here and we've also got our training facility as well we're up here training dogs um every every day of the week so uh, guys ever get up this way definitely reach out to us and we'd love to have you by well don't
1: invite us if you don't want us to come because we'll be there i <laughs> might, might just show up
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, so we'd love to have you
1: how many folks do you have on hand there? Is it just you and your wife? I'm sure you have to have a team if you're doing this many dogs.
2: Yeah, yeah've we've, we've grown quite a bit over the years. We've got a pretty good team. I think overall the, the number of employees that we have here at our North Carolina facilities probably in the range of 20 to 25 wow. um, and then we've got we've got contractor locations throughout the United States and then we also um, we've got another school for dog trainers um, in Alabama just north of Birmingham, about 40 minutes north of Birmingham um that teaches folks how to train dogs and then we just opened our most recent one about a year ago um in um uh, in texas uh down the hill country of texas that's where i was at last week when when we were talking so. mm-hmm. wow
1: that's awesome man! Just, just amazing yeah so give his name of his company and stuff again don't even run that down yeah before we let him go. yeah this is
0: jason Perguson. he is owner and operator of highland canine training
1: llc yeah if you want to reach out to him what's the best way to get a hold of you jason
2: um our website highlandcanine.com we're on social facebook instagram you can find us just about anywhere so um go to the internet and uh, my name's hard to spell so just uh com is probably the best way to get in touch with us
0: i will put a link to your website and all your socials in our show notes for this episode so folks awesome. folks can find it and we'll put it on our socials too it's so way, people yeah. can find it and um Give you credit for what you do, man. Man, give we you really some attention. You, yeah, yeah, certainly. We we appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, Jason, you have a good night, man. We appreciate it.
2: All right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank All
1: you, right. buddy. All right.
0: All right. Bye bye. All right, Dale. We want to thank Jason again for <sighs> contributing to the show.
1: Wow, man. That is he All was right. the show. I don't think that just is just a
0: <laughs> wealth of knowledge right there. That
1: yeah yeah that law enforcement and
0: and other agencies use. These dogs for
1: and so much stuff he does, man. Yeah, I mean it's just a wide, wide spectrum of. of, And we
0: didn't even get into the other stuff about uh, dogs, service dogs for helping uh, handicapped people or. um, like that. emotional support we didn't even get into that or no 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 that no
1: well you know we only really have so much time but good thing he did he said you know he'd always love to do another episode if we look down the road so if, if you guys are like that you dig this episode and or if you have questions you'd like us to pass on we'll start a thread or you can send them to us and we'll jot them down and then next time through we'll we'll use that as a, a starting point or something but yeah i think it's really cool for him to to volunteer to come back later if we want to do another episode sometime because man what a wealth of knowledge like you said and uh we just scratched the surface
0: yeah. Yeah, we going to keep this theme going, interviewing people who help law enforcement and help agencies to uh, yeah, solve crimes and right, things.
1: It's a branching out, man. You know, yeah. I think it's really cool, and it's a lot of stuff that we all talk about or all hear all the time, but you don't know that much about it when it comes right down to it. Educate people. Look at you.
0: Yeah. I know a big word or two. <laughs> That's right. All right, bud. It's been fun. We're going to get out of here. All right, let's roll. We want everyone to be safe. Just... Please be careful out there and always be aware of your surroundings.
1: Because the next episode could be about you. This is the The Crack Crack House House Chronicles. Chronicles.